Welcome back to the castle. This is the Ghost of Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Clint Roper, joined by your other host. Yes, that's two hosts, not co-hosts. Why? Because you know what? We don't want to make him feel like he's less than a man. Like he has to depend on me to host. He doesn't. He's a host in his own right. Kurt Roper. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, one of the more fundamental viewings that you have to uh, undertake as a horror fan. There are a lot of slasher fans out there. There's body horror fans out there. But you got to go back sometimes. That's right. You got to go back to the psychedelic 60s. No. Before that. The 1950s monster movies. No. Giant creatures, aliens, spies. No, before that. The 1940s terrible sequels to the original monster movies in the 1930s? I feel like you're just fucking around. I am fucking around. I'm talking about... The Universal Monster Movies. Now, Kurt and I have both separately constructed a list of our top five Universal Monster Movies. Um, and we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna present those uh, to each other and have conversations about them. There might be some on the, his list that are on my list. My guess is he's uh, genetically identical nearly to me. So, and you know, we have virtually the exact same upbringing. Uh, my guess is that uh, they're going to be some overlap, but that's fine. However long it takes to talk about these movies, whether it be two or three hours, I'm just kidding. We learned our lesson with it. Um, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to we're gonna have a little conversation about these, the Universal uh, monster movies. Really, the Universal horror movies in general, circa, let's say, 31 to mm, probably not going to go much past I don't think we're going to go past 45, but we may. So it's it's the top five monsters versus each other. Who could win in a fight, right? No, you've completely misunderstood what we're doing here. No, it's your top five monster movies or your top five universal horror movies from the age of the universal monsters. That That, that little caveat there is important because... Universal made some things that were arguably thrillers, which I feel should be included because of the the overall tone and also kind of kind of coming from the same time period. But really, you've technically got I mean, you could go up into the 50s even a little bit and still hit on some of the Universal um, movies that are a little bit. They, by that time, they're, they're yeah. retro. They're classic. Eh, by that time, they're not as popular. Yeah, they've been doing 20 years of sequels. It's like the Marvel movies. Yeah, a lot of people make the point of saying that the uh, Universal Monster movies are kind of like the first of the uh, of the uh, universe films, right? The extended universe, yeah. It is and it isn't. Like, it is if they constantly changed the actors and the rules. But we'll It's look. like three-card Monty, except for, you know, it's Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, and... Um, Lon Chaney Jr. Lon Chaney Jr. And they just switch them around who's playing what lead. What what monster? Right. It's like, hey, who's Frankenstein this movie? And it's and guess what? It's gonna be Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., or the original Borless, Boris Karloff. Um you know what? He is Borless. He hasn't bored a single person with that his rendition of Frankenstein, which is quite honestly iconic. Yeah. Okay. So to start off, I'll let you start. We'll start with your number five pick. Kurt, what is your number five pick? My number five pick is The Invisible Man. Is it because you identify so much with the, you know? Like, no, I just think he's the weakest in, to, 
in is a it fight. Be, is it because you identify so much with the Invisible Man? It's not. What? What? <laughs> stop saying that. Just realize that no matter how you how you how you describe the Invisible Man, it's a dig on you if I keep saying it. All right, uh, the Invisible Man. That's great. That's actually my number three. Well, he's my number five because he's kind of because he's not a monster. I mean, he's a monster as much as a human being can be a monster. No, I I hundred percent agree with you. <laughs> in fact, you know, it doesn't even matter if he's invisible. Although you can argue that it would have been a whole lot like it would have been more difficult for him to get away with some of his terroristic crimes, like when he derails a train. Um, but uh, but otherwise, it's it's pretty mundane stuff. It's, it's except it's he's just a terrorist, and he's arguably a really a really I don't want to say a good terrorist. I feel like that's. I feel like that could be taken out of taken out of context. Yeah, you know how like the Wolfman's uh, his bane is silver. Yeah, and it was regular bullets. That's the Invisible <laughs> Man. That's how yeah. he gets. Yeah. Well, also silver bullets. Then I mean any any bullet, any type of bullet. Fuck wood bullets, probably. I mean, and also probably not just bullets. I imagine like stabbing, bl- oh, yeah. bludgeons. He could trip. He could break his neck, and no one would find him for years. Doesn't he become like he does human become, again when he, does. when he dies? It doesn't work for the joke. I know it doesn't. Hey, instead of talking about the Invisible Man, let's just talk about Chevy Chase's Memoirs of the Invisible Man. I actually kind of like that movie. It's I, a guilty pleasure, though. It is for me too. Actually, uh, most I like a lot of Chevy Chase movies that I would categorize as guilty pleasures. Funny Farm. Yeah. Fletch Two. Fletch Lives. Yeah. I know. I know it's called Fletch Lives, but does he? Fletch Fletch goes south and explores every every uh, you know explores every single plot that's that's already been you know that and every he explores every southern trope there is. That's true too. He even does the whole uh, song of the south uh, part. Isn't we're not. This is not a <laughs> podcast about Fletch. No, it isn't, and that's why we're going to talk about Song of the South. It's a different type of monster movie. Yeah, it's a boring one. That movie's boring. A lot of people said it was racist, but I, you know what? I can't, honestly, if it was racist, I would never know because I can't watch it because it's so fucking boring. Okay. <laughs> so number five for me is The Invisible Man. What do you have? Another point I'd like to make about The Invisible Man is it, it's, uh, it was pushing the boundaries of uh, special effects at the time. Um, in fact, it's... Uh, I, either it or its sequel, I think, won an award for special effects. I can't remember. I thought they just hired an invisible dude, Claude Rains. Yeah, Claude Rains. Um, I was saying, uh, The Invisible Man, he, he, it's kind of not a horror movie. It's it's based on H.G. Wells. Yeah. A very popular book, I would say. Um, they did something, it's not an original IP, and very much, it, it kind of, I mean, it, it takes a little bit here and there. It takes, you know, it, it it changes the story here and there. But it's very much, it starts in the inn, you know, the old English inn. And it, it, it's very much the same story and the same thing. Mad scientist mm-hmm. uh, in, becomes invisible. Yes, he does. He continues his research. Mm-hmm. He goes crazy and wants to rule the world and murders the way to do it. You know he's a terrorist. Yeah, and spinning newspapers reveal his activities. I think it's he, I think it's the old newspaper mm-hmm. trope. Uh, it's how everything happened in the in the thirties and forties. Yeah, no, I mean beyond, uh, I guess uh, without going into too much detail, 
What I do enjoy about it is the fact that he's basically just an insane man. Mm-hmm. Um, that the progress, like he's he's his whole purpose is to try to find a cure for this thing that everybody thinks that they would want, but they wouldn't. Um, you know, it really explores the horrors of if I was invisible. It's almost like H.G. Wells was like, "Hey, if I was invisible," some he heard overheard a conversation like and some guy was like, "Man, I wish I was invisible sometimes." And then he was like, "Oh, do you?" And then he wrote the reasons why you don't. But it's the same reason he was someone's like, man, I wish he could go back in time and change that. He's like, really? Really? Is that what you... Is that what you really wish? Morlocks or whatever they're called. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I wish there was some fruit of the gods. Is <laughs> that what you wish? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Stretching. It's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wish there were wor- worlds that were at war. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, Chuckles. <coughs> oh my God, are you dying? I tried to breathe the Mountain Dew. <laughs> it doesn't work. And he was like, he was like, and then he was like, he was like, what if there's, what if there's a hollow earth? No, I'm sorry, that's Jill's burn. My bad. They're basically the same, same person. person. Same person. Okay. What if we went to the moon? <laughs> what if we went to the, what if we went to the inside of our planet? Boy, you really, what if we went to the, the deepest part of the ocean? Boy, he really was just like, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, if there had been, a, like, really, if there had been a whole other frontier, he would have been like, let's, ex- well, what if we explored that? And there were, you know, and then there was monsters or some shit. I don't know. Um, not like H.G. Wells, who was like, what if we went back in time or forward in time? And then there were monsters, you know. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so, yeah, love the movie. Uh, love Claude Rains' performance is fantastic. And, um... The, just when he goes batshit, when the, the best scene is probably when he like he cracks and just starts being all maniacal and like in the bar, and then kind of it happens pretty soon. He's he's like a deadbeat, can't pay his rent. Like he's his landlord goes to kick him out, he throws him down some fucking stairs. They call the police like you do, and then he like he's just like bitches, I'm invisible. So, he, so what you're saying is you identify with the invisible man. <sighs> Okay, what's your number? You know what? I'll do my number four. It's my turn. Uh, you're going to do your number five. Uh, I'll do my number five. Sorry, my bad. My number five is Dracula, and I wrote not the Spanish one. And I, That's my number four, so it's good that we're going to talk about it. Yeah, Dracula, not the Spanish one. Um, and so the reason not the Spanish one, a lot of people make the argument that the Spanish uh, version. If you're not familiar with this, uh, the 1931 Dracula with uh, Bella Lugosi was filmed alongside um, another um, uh, Dracula that was a Spanish language version with a whole different cast. And uh, a lot of people think that it is the superior film. And I'm not even going to argue if like the cinematography is better, or if the performances are necessarily better. Um but what what I will say is a lot of people don't understand the context that the original one came out. First off, of course, a Spanish language film would never gain traction in the U.S. at that time, especially if it had the counterpart that was the the um, you know the English version. Ford films can't really gain traction today, so yeah. Parasite that was a big deal. Mm, I feel like people are willing to go in the horror community. I honestly do think people will go that extra mile because they've seen some cool shit over the years in foreign films. I just don't think that 
exists in, in other uh, genres. Um, okay, okay, I'm I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. Like a French comedy, no one's watching Hold on. that. Do you hear the music? The ice cream man? No, that, that can't be right. It's like a music box. Did you leave the possessed music box open again? You know, where like the ballerina just looks you straight in the face and says, you're looking a little fat, and then you feel self-conscious. You're like, fuck you, ballerina. I don't have a job that keeps me in shape. She never said that to me. Uh, what what is what is she say? Must be my poor person diet keeping me thin. Yeah. If he could eat, he would, guys. He would. Just like the invisible man. Okay. Um, no, so like here's the deal. Uh, this is what I meant about like being iconic. This is my my bone to pick is, okay, the Bella Lugosi Dracula is the iconic Dracula. So much so that that voice, people think of it as so being so over the top and stereotypical that it's been, and it's been parodied so many times and copied. Um, people look at it and say, that is campy. But that is really because it's been, you've been overexposed to it because you've seen it parodied so many times. I mean, it's the same thing as The Exorcist, where it was a terrifying film when it came out. But by the time they re-released it in, I think, 2000, maybe 2001, maybe 99, something around that time period. By the time they re-released it, it had been parodied so many times that people looked at something that was groundbreaking and said, oh, man, but that's just, look at all these old cliches and look at, look, you know, and it just, it lacked the punch. Yeah. If you look into the I context. Mean, I mean, I think a priest may have slapped somebody, but it did like the actual punch. Yeah, like the punch. Max von Sadow. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Lucifer from Three Days with the Condors. He'll always be in my heart. Yeah, if you've never seen that movie, watch it. Um, We're going to recommend movies randomly to you. You should watch them. Yeah, now. Right now, stop watching this. No. Okay, look, just write it down or... Remember it. Right. So, okay. So, not so Dracula, the original one, I think it's so iconic. It had to make my list. It was my number five. Yeah, there's it's, a reason, though. You said the Spanish is not, it may be shot better. I think the Spanish, you can make the argument the Spanish is shot better, performed better. You can even make, make the argument it's the better adaptation, it's the better film. You can make those arguments, but because Bela Lugosi's Dracula was so iconic, because Lugosi played him on Broadway prior to the movie, played Dracula. Because the other act, actor whose name I can't remember, Carlos something, um, Vias or something, um, uh, because he was basically told to imitate uh, Bela Lugosi's version of Dracula from the stage, because, because he was told to do that, you know, when people talk about his performance being better, what they're talking about is him giving his best attempt to imitate Lugosi and where he fails to do so is the differences in his uh, his performance which may be better or may not be but it can only really account to his like failure to be Lugosi so we have no clue how he would have performed it without that kind of without the Lugosi like like archetype already being stamped this is the way you play Dracula prior to the movie even being shot that's how iconic it is and that's the reason it kind of has to go up on the uh, on the list. So that's my number five. Uh, it was my number four. I won't say anything about it really that you didn't say. I just I had it at number four because I though I like it. It has these moments where it's more 
it's a little boring and drags. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a fine film. I'm gonna stick with the classics, man, and it's classic. If you watch a lot of vampire movies later on, it's it like you said, it's iconic. It's like The Exorcist in some ways. It sets so many tropes up that are still being used in random fucking vampires. Hell, Stephen King's Salem's Lot is is a fucking love letter to the movie, the movie or the you know probably the movie. Eh, I think it's more of a love letter to the book, but but you know you still can't escape the uh, the Lugosi Dracula. I don't know. I I think you're I think you're right. I don't know. I like it when you think I'm right. So I'll skip that, and I'll go to my number three. And you can tell me where it is on your magical list. It's probably number five or something, or one. or that, I already gave you my number five. Go. Uh, the Wolfman, number three for me. And uh, that's just because, one, it's a really tight movie. Like, that movie is, from opening to 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 closing scene, is just so... The story is just, just tight. Does that make sense? It's just like... It just kind of like... It doesn't... like It's not a long movie. Movies weren't long back then. Mm-hmm. All right, they weren't 90 minutes. The 90-minute runtime that we have well shot past at this point, thank you, Zack Snyder, um, with your four-hour, ten-minute cut of Justice League. Which we did watch. It was pretty good. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't I mean, bad, actually. I didn't hate it. I mean, I didn't hate it. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Not I, the point. If though. you're listening, this is our <laughs> review of the Snyder's Justice League. The point is, is movies used to have a runtime something closer to about 60 minutes. Give or take, depending on how much action was in it, depending I, on, you know. I, I would say 80 minutes was the, 70, 80 minutes was considered feature length probably, and you probably generally, it, it edged out closer to 90 minutes. 90 minutes is almost a perfect runtime for, for, for a movie. If you're, if the story structure is like your, either it's basically your three act, you know. Right, 75 minutes, probably about right. But you were only getting 60 minutes of screen time because you had 10 minutes of fucking credits up front. Yeah, but you didn't have the credits at the end. That's true. I mean, we can argue about whether that should come back or not. Oh, yeah, I think it it can't in a day and age when there's so many, like, nobody wants to, like, you would not want to watch an Avengers, like, you wouldn't <laughs> want to watch a, a Marvel movie if you had to sit through the credits up just, front. If you had to, it's well, just, if you had to it's see fifth, a thousand people that, that worked on the computer graphics right up front. It's 15 title. fucking minutes of, of credits, and then... But wouldn't it be great to see that in the old Universal title card style? It's just like some some some, some symphonic music. And then it's just like it's just a it's the title card, and it says like it says like the ghost of blah blah Dracula, and then like and then it's fifteen fucking minutes of like like. Max, max seven names on the screen at once or some shit like that. <laughs> you just have to, it, it would probably take it, it's probably 30 fucking minutes that They're way. all like perfectly calligraphied and stuff like that because it's a title card. To um, be fair, if this was done in the true 1930s style, they wouldn't have put any of the Korean names up there probably that's either. True. Um, what I will tell you though is just, there was a nice, there was a time when movies had a nice balance of opening credits and that was top billing. Your top billed people had, had an opening credit still. And then the end credits were just every fucking the best boy, the ga- the gaffer, all that shit. You know, no one cares about that's how you the say assistant. That yeah, title. that's yeah. You got to be careful. Okay. Um. Anyway, the Wolfman. Uh, simple story. Mm-hmm. Lon Chaney Jr. Yep. In his best role, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's fair because it's the only other role. It's the only role that no one could take from him because he played it first. Yeah. 
And uh, I agree. Did amazing job. Would have made you know made his father fucking proud with those with the his kind of like characterization of of the the Wolfman. His him actually becoming the Wolfman. Yeah, he does a great job. You know, it's funny because the way he plays the Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr. is so he's a fucking tall. Tall motherfucker. He's so he's so fucking tall. <laughs> tall and enough to play Frankenstein. Right, but. But when he plays the Wolfman, the way it's he like, walks is kind boots. of hunched over, and he's got he's almost head down to his shoulder yeah. level, and he makes himself small and like agile looking. He makes himself look like he's not fucking. I don't know how tall he is. You know what? He might just be like he could be five eleven, and everybody back then was just short. I don't think that's the case. I think he was probably at least six he just foot didn't tall. Smoke but as much as the other boys just, growing up. Yeah, yeah. He, just, yeah he, he wasn't on two packs a day like everybody like Lagosi was. Yeah. Um, Two packs of heroin a day. <laughs> yeah, two packs of God. Okay, damn it. We're gonna stop. We can't. You can't keep. Sorry, you can't keep calling people's drug use out. First, it was Stephen King. Uh, and uh, okay, one thing I'd like to say about the Wolfman is it was my number uh, four, but it was tied with another movie. You can't have two number fours. I make the rules. God okay, damn it. Damn it. All right, well, then you can talk about your number four after this anyway. No, no, yeah. I, I'll just talk about my number four also because it's, it's also a Wolfman-type movie. It's, okay. Um, I wanted to p- pick one of the Monster Mash movies, and so that would be like Frankenstein meets Wolfman, uh, House of Frankenstein, House, House of Dracula, right? Mm-hmm. So naturally, I went with uh, Abbott and Costello meet uh, Frankenstein because honestly, that's, it's got the best fight scene in any of those movies. It has a fight scene between like Frankenstein and uh, and the Wolfman, which happens often, but which can, but it like and then but it has the it has the fight scene between like when the Wolfman like fights Dracula and just kicks his ass because Dracula's like I'm gonna turn into a bat and the Wolfman's just like Well, I get you look like a frisbee to me and he jumps and grabs him. But anyway, point is is uh, the reason I'm putting that in there is because it's my favorite of of. Uh, of the uh, Monster Mash films, it, it's funny because of Abbott and Costello, but the parts that don't have Abbott and Costello in them are shot and played and acted just like a regular uh, horror film. And so you get a lot of your like your wish fulfillment, things you always wanted to see, which was uh, Lon Chaney Jr. as, um, as uh, the Wolfman versus Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Which you didn't get in the other ones because, like, John Carradine was playing. Yeah, the Ghost was like, I want to be uh, a doctor, Frankenstein. Yeah. Like, why? Why? And then, uh, yeah, and then, and then, um, typecasting. Right. And then, oh, but the funniest fucking shit is that, <laughs> no, the funniest shit is I think it's House of Frankenstein or it might be House of Dracula. I get those two conflated, but when, um, <laughs> When John Carradine plays Dracula and he's only in the movie for like fifteen minutes and then he's just he dies, and then but but that's not the the funniest part. The funniest part is Bella Lugosi plays Frankenstein in that movie, <laughs> uh, and, and fucking um, Boris Karloff is in that movie, but as a mad scientist, they're just fucking. They he, you know he you know he was just like I don't want to play Frankenstein anymore. It was like I'm I'm with you for another nine films and I ain't playing Frankenstein and fucking eight of them. Yeah, he was like, and and I'll and I guess I'll be in Bella Lugosi with all of in all of those, you know. All right, so I'm gonna say 
my that was mine. I just wanted to bring it up while we we're talking about the Wolfman because I honestly think it's one of the better. I I love the first Wolfman movie, but I almost like the other ones more because we established that he can't kill himself. Yeah, he can't die. Apparently, he you know, and apparently he didn't die in the first one, or he did. I can't remember the circumstances. He was reason, beaten but. with a silver cane and died. Yeah, they don't. It was beautifully poetic. It, I'm fine with the sequels, but yeah, it's a standalone movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, moving forward. The only way it'd have been better is if, if the old gypsy herself would have beaten him to death. So that was your number four, and technically my number four. And we already talked about number, my number three. Yeah, that was my number three, um, four, and five I've already went through. So, Well, we've already talked about my number three, which is The Invisible Man. <clears throat> exactly. So um, we've moved through both of our five, four, and threes. So I guess we need to talk about my number two. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Frankenstein. Oh, that's my number one. I had a feeling it might be. Uh, here's the reason. Frankenstein is kind of considered to be, or Bride of Frankenstein, are considered to be the high watermark uh, films of the Universal Monster movies. They're the critically acclaimed ones. They're the most competently shot, acted. Um, they're super atmospheric. Um, they're classic and, you know, it's, and it really, it really is a different kind of story where they're inspiring sympathy with the monster. It's, it's fantastic. And, uh, it's an interesting, yeah, they, they inspire sympathy with the monster. You're correct, but it's an innocence kind of, right. He's still a monster in the first one and the Bride of Frankenstein, he becomes really sympathetic. Right. Um, all I remember is that Gene Hackman pours soup on his lap. That's what I remember. <laughs> and they and then they sing Putting on the Ritz. And I said, man, Gene Hackman wasn't everything. They let him play Lex Luthor. Do, do over on that one. What? Gene Hackman. I was making a reference to Young Frankenstein. It was a joke. It wasn't meant to be. In... I'm so bad at this. <laughs> you, did you forget it was Gene Hackman? Is that I what, did. Is that what happened? Is it Gene Hackman? Yeah, and Young Frankenstein, the, the blind man. I did forget that. Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. It's a great fucking, <laughs> it's fucking scene. Gene Hackman. I've never seen young Gene Hackman's the problem. Even even in even in the fucking French Connection, he's not a young man. Way to fly off the handle like that, Kurt. God. Just cut it Just out. like the Just invisible cut, man. Cut it, cut it out. All right. Well, now we got to talk about that. No, we're not talking about Full House, all right? Frankenstein. Frankenstein. The monster. But Frankenstein the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can, you, you, you have another case of the iconic one, but whereas like Dracula was like the iconic version, Frankenstein's, <laughs> Frankenstein's kind of held up and it's probably because he didn't, you know, in the first movie, he doesn't say that much. Um, you get a couple of, right. But, but, uh, I prefer that too. Right. But, but it's not like, I guess, you know, it's, you're not dealing with an accent or anything like that. And it's, it's, it's played really subtly and kind of brilliantly by by um, Boris Karloff, who is often was kind of cast as this big, monstrous guy, um, not really all, not often given the chance to have a, a, a major speaking role or where he sounded intelligent. Yeah, he's he's a very intelligent. voice too, yeah. Just a beautiful voice. Of course, the mummy comes around and gets, gives him an opportunity to do that. And the mummy's not on my list, but it's, 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 it's a, place, it gets to be hotel. Doesn't have to be wrapped in bandages. Right, he's not the mummy that everybody thinks of for most of that movie. Misremembering things—that's what a lot of people that 
Yes. I've never seen the movies, but have seen parts of it on TV or have seen it through pop culture, have kind of absorbed it through pop culture. And to kind of get back on topic, uh, Bride of Frankenstein was my second pick. So I'll talk about it a little bit with this just to kind of get it through. But Frankenstein, mm-hmm. people misremember it. You know, that famous movie where there's Igor and um, Victor Frankenstein. and Oh, yeah, Victor. Yeah, Victor Frank. No, I mean, in the story, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, sure, Victor Frankenstein's his name. They changed it, though, for the movie. And for, for both movies, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, his name's Henry. Yeah, that's a good... You know, you I can, here's the thing. I can't trust a foreign name like Victor, but Henry? I'd buy a car from that fella. Yeah. I mean, well, technically, I think um, on his tombstone later, spoilers. You know what, you know what they say? You know what he said? What? Uh, Henry Ford famously said you can have that car in any color as long as you're not jewish oh my goodness okay <laughs> something like something he would say i thought you were gonna make a frankenstein reference now i'm just shocked um just like the monster was you know, let's see if i can work back around you know henry ford with his with his modern mechanization and assembly line and, and you know what you know what who was terrified of that type of industrialization? Mary Shelley. And she wrote Frankenstein. We're back. There you go. Um, Frankenstein, though. Like, Henry Frankenstein. Um, I forget which movie it is. It shows his grave, and it's Heinrich von Frankenstein. Ah. But Henry, because, you know, Americans. Yeah. yeah. Um, turns out it's 1931. We don't like uh, we don't like the Germans that much to begin with. Mm. Not that Victor's mm-hmm. are terribly... Un-Americanized, mm-hmm. but you know, um, people misremember that uh, Igor. He's not. He does not exist. Uh, Fritz. Fritz is the assistant. putting on the Fritz. Gotcha. No, Fritz is the assistant. That's that's the point. It's like a hunchbacked assistant. It is a hunchbacked assistant. You're correct. Um, but uh, I don't know what the PC term for that is. It's an obvious um, physical ailment. I don't think it's. I think it's a grotesque, like, gothic thing they did. Unishouldered. That's not, that's not right. <laughs> uh, but Bride of Frankenstein also. I mean, it's a, it's a really good movie. I thought I'd talk about it for a second to get it out of the way so that we can jump into your, your number two or one. But um, Bride of Frankenstein's great. Uh, it's not as good. It ranked below Frankenstein because I like the monster being more of a an innocent monster instead of spouting caveman type language saying, well, she don't like me, you know? Well, by the end, doesn't he develop speech and he, is it like kind of eloquent? I, I seem not, to recall. He's not that eloquent. He's, he's got eloquent thoughts, but I mean, to be fair, yeah, he has a, a great thought where it's like, you know, at the end where he's like, we're the monsters and we're going to stay here type thing. And we, we don't, you know, you guys get out of here, man. We, we got to die. You're like, okay, man, good for you, but... Right, where does he fall, in, like, when we're talking about eloquence, where does he fall on the, like, the presidential meter? Like, is he, is he, is he in, like, the, uh, the Teddy Roosevelt camp, Jimmy Carter, JFK? I think we're going more towards a... Ronald Ger- Reagan. Uh, well, the way he moves is a Gerald Ford. George W. Bush. Yeah, Gerald Ford with maybe the brain of George W. Bush. Jesus Christ. Because he's Frankenstein. <laughs> For a person that's been put together, he's not that put together, you know? What if that's why Gerald Ford fell? 
Like he he just like he was stitched together out of other. <laughs> you know he was an athlete, right? No, I listen. I understand. It's, <laughs> I guess I should make a statement that I do know that he wasn't clumsy, but he had this. He had he made the mistake. It's like that thing where you're not something. Like if you're the guy that like never ever ever like gets really drunk and acts like an asshole like you if you get drunk occasionally or never but then occasionally you get drunk but you're really contemplative and kind of like philosophical but then like the only time that like somebody meets you you get drunk and you're an asshole you're just that drunk asshole for like that's all you that's how you exist in their mind and so that's what that's what Gerald Ford is like in the, in our in our popular conscious is this really uh you know what? It's Saturday Night Live's fault, too, kind of. There's a lot of things that are Saturday Night Live's fault, but Clint, this is not a podcast on Saturday Night Live. That's right. We were talking about Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein. It's my number one, anyway, and for all those reasons. It's a classic. Um, it holds up well, in my opinion. Uh, I love the monster. I love Boris Karloff as the monster. I, I'm afraid. I, I know he couldn't escape it, and he, he probably didn't have much love for the role. It's not like uh, Bela Lugosi and Dracula as far as like the kind of idea that that was his specifically, even though it, he definitely owned it. You know, I asked you to make a list of Fuck, Mary Kill with Dracula, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein, and this is what you brought me. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's hear your, your – I guess we'll hear your uh, top two if you haven't – Well, my number two was Frankenstein. Perfect. We knocked that out of the park. We did. So uh, what's your number one? My number one is The Old Dark House. That very that universal classic that everyone remembers the old dark house. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. That's the one where a house is stalking people, right? Nope. Okay. the The old dark house is not a monster movie per se. Like, it does have um, it does have like technically two kind of monstrous characters in it. Uh, but I don't want to ruin the movie because I love it so much. And if you haven't seen it. It's not one of those movies that you've absorbed through popular culture like Kurt was talking about where you've kind of already seen it. So The Old Dark House is a lovely, uh, not a haunted house film, but it's a lovely film where uh, a couple of people or really an, uh, an assembly of, um, of strangers uh, come together to get out of a, a, a really bad storm with terrible flooding somewhere in England um, back at a time where, where cars were literally like just incapable of keeping you dry. Yeah. They couldn't keep you dry. Um, yeah, it's, it's back when cars, like the wheels, you, you could probably, you felt, I don't know if this was true, but they looked like you could just pick them up and like, like bend them. Like, I don't know, like a, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but they do look that way. Um, they, they're basically just wagon wheels with some rubber on them. Yeah. It's so, they're all soft top basically. Right. Uh, but so like the storm's so bad they have to they find this like old manor manorial like house I guess a manor is what you would yeah. call it. <laughs> but uh, they find this old manor that's on you know and they 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 seek shelter there and you know it's inhabited by some really weird characters this super nervous guy whose name escapes me the actor. Um, but he's the same guy who plays Doctor Pretorius in uh, Bride. Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Sun, yeah. And so he's really and he's really good. And and his sister, and of course they talk about another brother. And there's the servant, which is like this mute, 
ugly, monsterish looking Boris Kar Karloff being forced to be play this mute giant monstrous guy again. I don't think he has it in him. I don't think he has the chops. That's right. But uh but like it's just a really fascinating movie to watch where for for most of the movie you're getting a sense that it's building up, but there isn't really doesn't necessarily feel like there's anything terrible terrifying or horrifying happening. It's just these people, these strange people, this strange atmosphere. And um and it's all about the atmosphere in that movie, you know, the storm, the dark house. Oh, and uh, Rose from the Titanic, the movie Titanic. It's the old lady that played Rose. She's in it, but she's young. That's how old this movie That's is. That's how old this movie is. It's like 1932. They found an actor in James Cameron's 1997 classic Titanic that was old enough to have actually been on the Titanic. No, Titanic. Titanic. True, but I don't think... I think As a child, probably. As, yeah, she would have been younger. She played a little older. You can't tell with all the wrinkles. What do you do? You add a wrinkle here. You add a wrinkle there. That's right. Some people age gracefully. Some people don't. You can't tell at that age. I can't wait till James Cameron makes his next movie and it's in space because he wants to go into space. He just starts funding SpaceX so he can make another movie. Because fuck James Cameron. Yeah, no, fuck know. James Cameron. Anyway. No, actually, he makes really good sequels of other people's work. No, he makes pretty good movies of his he's own. He's the best. He makes great movies. He makes good movies of his own. But he's definitely the best person at making a sequel that can live up to the original. Because he doesn't unless, try to... Unless that sequel is Avatar. <laughs> yeah, because he can't make that sequel. He can't make the sequel to that sequel. Or the sequel to that sequel. Exactly. Also, Avatar was kind of shit, but... Yeah, it kind of... It's okay if you enjoy Avatar, but it really isn't... It's okay if you enjoy Avatar. It's not okay if you want to become a Navi and live with them. It's weird that people wanted to do that. It, they got depressed about not being able to do it. If you're just joining us on the podcast, we're talking about the Navi and the depression that you feel when you realize you can't be one. It's like people that say they're an eighth Native American when they're not. They're just hoping that they they have some kind of like culture that's that they can live and with the with you know nature and and feel like not feel any guilt towards. No, nah, that's what they want with the Navi. They just want to be blue, but but Native American. I think it's like furries, man. I think there's something <laughs> sexual there. They're like, I want to be this. I want to be the height of. Of like two Kareem Abdul Jabbar's, <laughs> I want to be blue and I want I want to have sex with my tail. I don't remember much about yeah. the movie. I feel like that was something. That was a thing that happened. Um, okay, so that pretty much sums it up. My five versus your five. We had a lot of overlapping. Um, you know, kind of got skimmed the surface of the Universal monster movies. Hopefully, this you makes go you deep. Well, hopefully this makes you some makes the listeners want to watch some of the old Universal Monster movies. Listen, very important to me, when I was a kid, fairly young, uh, we watched them with my dad. My dad would, uh, would, would take us to the video store. We'd rent some movies. Occasionally we'd rent some of the old Universal Monster movies. And, of course, he watched them when he was a kid. He watched them probably with his father, yep. who was old enough when they came out to be watching them probably as a child. So that's three generations of appreciation for that movie. And I've already passed that on to my kid because um, my four-year-old just spent like all last Halloween or leading up to Halloween was, was big on watching clips from The Wolfman. So, and and I think I could probably get her to watch more of it now. Maybe a little too scary for her, uh, but that's okay. 
you know what they say, terrify your children. I think we said that. We said that a few episodes ago. Seven episodes ago. Seven episodes ago. But it feels like 25. Feels like it's been forever. All right, well, did we establish anything here today, Kurt? Do we ever? Nope. Hey, Kurt, do me a favor. When you put my DVDs back, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like to get the DVDs out and look at them before we do this podcast. When you put my Monster Movie DVDs back, please do not remove the Bill Cosby himself DVD up there. It's in its right place in the Monster Movies, okay?